All right. Go ahead and have a seat as you are already seated. <clears throat> Catch up, Hunter. Octavio, we good? All right. Good stuff. Okay. Man, I am excited about today. Last week, we spent an hour in six verses. Today, I'm going to try to cover about four times that many verses. In less time. In less time. And uh, I'm going to turn my timer on. First things first. All right. Started. One second in. Romans 7. Romans 7. I hope you have a Bible. Grab a Bible that's handy near you. Pull that out. My message title today is The Incredible, Awesome, Beastly Truth. That is the title today, and I hope and trust by the end of today you will know why I've titled it that, because what we're about to cover in Romans 7 is some powerful stuff, some powerful stuff. So our discussion last week ended with verse 6, and selecting how many verses to cover this week was not the easiest task, as I shared with many of you on Wednesday. We could just take verses 7 through 13 and focus there today, but I didn't really want to stop at verse 13. And when we get there, you'll, you'll know why I didn't want to stop there. And so the next problem, if we keep going, is that the rest of the chapter is so closely tied with the beginning of chapter 8, making it also very hard to stop at verse 25, which is the end of chapter 7. That being the case, we are going to venture all the way into chapter 8, so hang on. We are going to start by reading only the first 13 verses of Romans 7. We will discuss them and then move on into the rest of 7 and 8. And because we're only reading 13 verses to start, uh, why don't we stand? Why don't we stand? I know you guys just sat down, but let's go ahead and stand again, and we'll read God's Word together. Paul says in verse 1 of Romans 7, Since I am speaking to those who know the law, brothers and sisters, don't you know that the law rules over someone as long as he lives? For example, a married woman is legally bound to her husband while he lives. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law regarding the husband. So then if she is married to another man while her husband is living, she will be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, that law. Then if she is married to another man, she is not an adulteress. Now please, don't get hung up here. There are plenty of passages in the Bible that talk about marriage and divorce and, and that relationship and they are worth study. This is not one of those passages. Paul is using marriage as an analogy. So get what he's saying. We established last week. The point of marriage and is that death and, and brings that freedom from the law. They are Paul's not considering Paul things like divorce here and stuff like that. So, so don't get hung up there. Verse 4, therefore, my brothers and sisters, here's the point. You also were put to death in relation to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another. You belong to him who was raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For when we were in the flesh, notice that, that phrase, in the flesh, the sinful passions aroused through the law were working in us to bear fruit for death. But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us so that we may serve in the newness of the spirit and not in the old letter of the law. 
What should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And that's where we, no, that's not, this this is where we pick up today. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me coveting of every kind. For apart from the law, sin is dead. Once I was alive apart from the law. We're going to talk about that. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to life and I died. The commandment that was meant for life resulted in death for me. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. So then, the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Therefore, did what is good become death to me? Another question, which he answers with his famous answer, absolutely not. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good, so that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. Man, I am excited to talk through this. Is your mind awake, alert? Are you sober in mind? Hopefully you're sober in body as well. Would you, as I pray right now, would you pray and just ask that God would illuminate his word to your mind? Um, that's what I've been asking for you. That's what I've been asking for myself. And, um, and this passage has had a work on me this week, which is just um, the coolest thing the coolest thing. It's one thing to just preach something, but, but I'm like, God, I need to experience this myself. And, and I think I do have some of that to share as well, but may God's word speak to us today. Let's pray. Father, oh, you're so good and your word is so good. And it's so easy for me to say that right now because I feel good and I see the word working in me. But Lord, there are those today that are, are, are discouraged. There are those today that are um, defeated. There are those today that Uh, we're all struggling, but Lord, they're they're in a season where that struggle is a struggle of defeat, not a struggle towards victory and in victory. So Lord, comfort, comfort your sheep today. Lord, convict those who are asleep, those who are apathetic, those who are blind. Lord, convict them in your love and your gentleness. May your kindness lead them to repentance. And Lord, those who are discouraged, Lord, lift their hearts. You are the God who said, I am gentle and lowly in heart. Be at rest. I've I've come to give rest to your soul. So may we find that in your word today. Unless your spirit speaks, Lord, we will be still in the dark. And so we trust that your spirit will speak today. And what a crazy thing to believe that is. So help us be children and take that simple truth like that, that God, you, you will speak to us. We trust that. And that's our hope. And we thank you ahead of time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, go ahead and have a seat. Um, If you're visiting with us for the first time, welcome. Uh, We'd love for you to take one of those connection cards in the seat back and fill it out and um, maybe give us a little bit of information so we can connect with you. And um, if not your name, just your name. And uh, if you want to leave a prayer request, and this is open for anyone, we, we take those prayer requests and we pray through them as a staff and leadership on Wednesdays. And uh, we'd love just to pray for you specifically and, uh, and know your name so we can pray over you by name. And then um, if you'd like to follow along with the message today, if you find it easier, you can go to fresnochurch.info, fresnochurch.info, and just click on sermon notes. And you can literally just read along with what I'm saying today. And if that helps you focus, go for it.
Okay, so based on the logic of Paul's argument that we've been studying so far, we could jump right from verse 6, which we ended with last week. We could jump right from there into chapter 8. And verse 6 says, But now we have been released from the law since we have died to what held us, so that we may serve in the newness of the Spirit and not in the old letter of the law. Paul's drawing a conclusion here. And Romans 8 goes perfectly this goes perfectly into Romans 8 verse 1. Therefore, there's no condemnation now for those in Christ Jesus because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. It flows very nicely, but Paul stops. Paul's going to stop and he's going to address the potential questions his audience might be asking at this point. This is classic. We've seen Paul do this. He'll make a point. He'll make an argument. And then he'll ask a question on his own argument because the audience in a letter, the audience isn't there to respond to him. So he is responding for his audience. And then he, most of those, the answer is just absolutely not. And then he goes on to explain. So that's what Paul's going to do here in verse 7. If the law aroused our sinful passions, in verse, as verse 5 says, and if we are free from the law, then is the law itself a bad thing? Is the law itself sinful? It could sound like that. And so Paul says, what should we say then? Is the law sin? Absolutely not. But I would not have known sin if it were not for the law. For example, I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, do not covet. And sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, produced in me every kind of coveting. For apart from the law, sin is dead. So before the law, there is certainly covetousness within us. But when the law says, be content with what you have, instead of wanting what everybody else has, it is then we discover how continually covetous we are. Before, we, we didn't know. We didn't see it until the law says that. Until the law says, don't do it. Now, when Paul says, apart from the law, sin is dead, he's not saying there is no sin until the law comes. Very important. It can sound like that. We know in Romans, why do I say that? Because in Romans 5.13, how much more explicit can Paul be than this? He told us sin was in the world before the law. Sin was in the world before the law. But sin is not charged to a person's account when there is no law. That's the distinction here. Paul is speaking figuratively, and he's going to continue speaking figuratively. And so it's very important to understand that as we keep moving. So it is important for us to define the meaning of the word dead here, and we are going to have to define Paul's meaning on some other words in the coming verses as well. What Paul means by saying sin is dead before the law is that sin is unrecognized. It is dormant. It is free. In the land of no righteousness, in the land where righteousness is not a thing, how would you identify sin? How would you identify unrighteousness? You can't. Not until righteousness is revealed. If you've never seen light, how would you know you're in darkness? And like Gary shared um, on Wednesday in our group, the law is the light that shines on sin. It reveals it. It shows it, which we also talked about last week. So verse 9, verse 9. Once I was alive apart from the law, no, you're in darkness. But when the commandment came, sin sprang to and life again and I died. On, the commandment that was meant for life resulted the law in is death the light that for shines me. on sin. And he says it again. For sin, seizing an opportunity through the commandment, deceived me and through it killed me. And what we're about to witness here 
in these verses, as I start explaining them, is like the origin of the matrix. Like, I don't know who wrote, uh, I don't know if it was books before it was a movie, but, but whoever wrote that, I think they got it from this passage right here. How many of you have seen the matrix? Man, man, the original. Deceived me and through it, oh, killed me. Ah, oh, okay. Well, we're going we're we're to go with the illustration anyway. Verses, you need to go watch it after this. Like the origin you need to go watch it, but I'll kind of explain it. Like, so I how can Paul say wrote, he was alive uh, apart was from the law? It was a movie, but, but whoever we already, that, I think they got, like we already established in, in Ephesians weeks and weeks ago uh, that we are dead in our sins. Uh, okay, well, we're going we're we're to go with Does Paul mean he was spiritually alive before sin? Paul is simply talking figuratively here, just like when he said sin is dead apart from the law. Paul is saying that before the law, we can have a sense that we are okay. We are free. We are good. Weeks and weeks ago that we are dead in our sins. But when the law appears, to we're our gonna, consciousness, go we become aware of the law and what righteousness like, truly is and what truly pleases God. Here, all of a sudden, like we are no longer okay, dead apart from free law. or good. Paul is saying that before alive, we can have a sense that we, we are die. Okay. The law kills our deceived perception that we are alive. To our consciousness, we become our false belief and become aware of the law that we were alive. and what righteousness truly is and how does it kill us no longer okay is it the law that kills this perception or is it sin important question sin kills us through the law so in one sense you could say both do but but sin uses the law as a weapon to deal a death blow to our false hope we wake up from the dream that we were alive and we see that we are dead in our sins. The law doesn't kill me. It exposes that I'm already dead. So what dies is the deception, the false reality that I was alive. The law reveals that I am dead in sin. And some of you are like, okay, we've heard this. This is redundant. Honestly, this is worth repeating. This is worth repeating, getting it into the, the, the deep parts of our consciousness. And so, come on, this is the matrix right here. Let me explain. Neo, the main character, right? Law he is alive, quote unquote, in sin. with the rest of, of the like world of people until he Honestly, takes the red pill repeating. from Morpheus. It's the red one, right? It's worth repeating. Okay, it's the red one. The, the blue the, one's the, the one to parts of our stay, stay in the world. And so, come on. He takes this the red the pill, and then what right happens? Here. That red pill, in our case, the law, wakes him up to the reality that his condition with the rest is of the nothing world of people like he thought until it was. He takes the red and what a scene that is. What a horrific, terrifying scene. He is imprisoned in a pod with all the rest of humanity. All this time he thought he was alive, he was totally deceived as his body was being used to fuel the dark world of robot machines. I mean, that's a pretty good illustration of what Paul's saying right here. The huge difference here the, the morbid difference is that the law, our red pill, simply wakes us up. It doesn't set us free. So now we are awake in our tank like Neo with the cables of sin still stuck in us as it drains our life. Like how much more of a victim can you be than to have uh, like this thing in the back of your head that's programming your brain to do whatever? That's how, that's how Neo wakes up and finds himself. And that's how we wake up. When the law is revealed to us, we realize, oh, I'm in trouble. We aren't able to escape like Neo did. We are stuck in the pod until Christ comes to save us. All right, moving on to verse 12. And if that illustration did nothing for you, don't worry. Go watch The Matrix and it will. So then, verse 12, the law is holy 
and the commandment is holy and just and good. The red pill was a good thing for Neo. At first, it didn't feel like it because Neo wakes up to the horrible reality of his condition. It was probably tempting to plug himself back into the matrix and go on living his fake life. That might have been easier than getting out of that pod and realizing, where do I go now? What do I do? How do I live? The law is a good thing for us. It is holy, just, and good. So that means seeing our condition is going to hurt until we get free in Christ. And this is right off the heels of last week. You've got to have that context of last week. Therefore, verse 13, did what is good become death to me? Paul's second question today. Absolutely not. But sin, in order to be recognized as sin, was producing death in me through what is good. So that through the commandment, sin might become sinful beyond measure. How sick is our sin? Remember in the Old Testament when Joseph says to his brothers, his brothers who threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery, he says, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Sin reverses that. Sin turns that on its head. What God means for our good, sin means for our destruction. Oh, how many things can we play that out in life? The first one I go to is sex. Like, that's exactly what sin has done. Take something God has meant for our good and turn it into something twisted and destructive. What a parasite. Sin takes what is good and uses it to produce evil. The old Christian Augustine demonstrates this very well with a testimony from his own life. In his work, Confessions, book two, chapter four, he says this, this is a story he tells. There was a pear tree close to our own vineyard, heavily laden with fruit, get this, which was not tempting either for its color or for its flavor. Late one night, having prolonged our games in the streets until then, as our bad habit was, a group of young scoundrels and I among them, we went to shake and rob with this fruit. pear tree. We carried off a huge load of pears, not to eat ourselves, but to dump out to the hogs after barely tasting some of them ourselves. Doing this pleased us all the more because it was forbidden, the law against stealing. Such was my heart, O God, such was my heart, which thou didst pity even in that bottomless pit Behold, now let my heart confess to thee what it was the seeking hogs. there. When After I was being gratuitously wanton, doing this, love this old English all man. The more having no inducement to evil, but the evil the itself. It was, was foul, heart, oh God, and I loved heart, it. Which thou didst pity I loved my own undoing. Behold, I loved my air, my heart not that for which I, I erred, gratuitously for the air itself, a depraved no soul, falling away from, the, from security and need to destruction in itself, seeking nothing it from the foul. shameful deed, but shame itself. What Augustine is saying here is that he and his scoundrel friends broke the law against stealing just for the sake of doing it. They didn't want those pears. They did it because it, it was fun to break the law. They did not sin in the pursuit of pleasure. They did not sin in the pursuit of pleasure. Sin was their pleasure. Sin was their pleasure. And Paul is saying in verse 13, the law caused sin to become hideous to the max. 
So that sin might become sinful beyond measure is what he says. How disgusting is sin that we would want to break the law just to revel in our evil, our rebellion against God because we want to be God. Every single one of us want to be God. You're like, nah. No, it's true. The law is the billboard that declares to us we are not God. And that is exactly what the sin in us desires. That's the call of the serpent in the garden, the original sin. And that is the root of our, that's the root of our sin. Eve, take this fruit. It will make you wise. God's holding out on you. God knows that when you eat of this fruit, that you will be like him, knowing good and evil. You will be God like God. That's the call of the serpent. And I think it's safe to define the entity of sin within us. When Paul talks about this, this entity, sin, seizing opportunity, sin does this, sin does that. We're going to see more of it. When he refers to that, we define that as that which seeks to be God and thus rejects God and his position of sovereign authority and power. It is our rebellion within. That is sin in us. That's what it is. Okay, verses seven through 13, we did it. Now we're gonna move on to the rest of the chapter. We're gonna transition into the rest of chapter seven and into eight, coming right off this conversation about the law and sin. We're not moving on from this. We're, we're continuing in it. Paul is going to describe the war within our own selves in relation to sin's presence starting with verse 14. We are still talking about how the law and sin interact with us and how we relate to them. Remember the trio we started talking about in chapter six, the law, sin, and us? We are gonna see them on full display in these verses. How do all these things come together? Verse 14, for we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold as a slave under sin, for I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, I agree with the law that it is good. So now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. Questions, questions, right? For I know that nothing good lives in me that is in my flesh. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. For I do not do the good that I want to do, but I practice the evil that I do not want to do. Now, if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is the sin that lives in me. So I discover this law. And when Paul says law here, He's not talking about like the law of God. He's talking about a principle, a, a statute, something that is proven true. He's found this principle to be true, that when he wants to do what is good, evil is present with me. Verse 22, for in my inner self, I delight in God's law, but I see a different law in the parts of my body, so waging war law. against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. This is his conclusion. What a wretched man I am. Who will save me? Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Christ, Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. Romans 8, right in Romans 8. 
Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, since it was weakened Romans by the flesh, eight. God did. He right condemned sin in the flesh by sending Therefore, his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as no a sin offering. In order that the law's Christ requirement Jesus. would be fulfilled in, a, in us who do not walk according to the flesh, Jesus but according to the spirit. The Are you still with death. me? Have you zoned out yet? Okay, awesome. That was a very lively yes. I love it. For those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the things of the flesh. But those living according to the Spirit have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Now the mindset of the flesh is what? Death. But the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is what? hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable, unable to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That is a very strong statement. You, however, ah, oh, this is a better statement, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now, if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. Hear that. The body is dead because of sin. But the spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, then he who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through his spirit who lives in you. Amen. All right, now, we're not going to go into all that detail in, in chapter 8, but we are going to get there. And, and don't worry, we'll, we, we're doing okay on time. <clears throat> so as we start unpacking verse 14 and working through this, I think we can actually supersede the question of who is Paul talking about in verses 14 through 25? Is he referring to himself before he was saved or is he describing his current state as a believer? And there, there's opinions on both sides that would hold to either one of those. Well, I think we can actually supersede that question altogether. And I'm not just trying to avoid it. I, I would love to get into it. But, but we're entering into a slightly different conversation in which these are not the most relevant questions to ask. And this is why I wanted us to read all the way into chapter 8. We are entering into the conversation of flesh versus spirit. Not primarily, it has ramifications for saved versus unsaved, but it's not primarily that conversation. The question here is not, is Paul saved or is he unsaved here? That's not, no, no, no. It's the flesh versus the spirit. It's a different, we got to get out of this mindset. We got to get so, into a different conversation. Uh, question, the flesh versus the spirit. And let's, uh, let's look at chapter 8, verses 12 and 13. We did not read these yet. So then, brothers and sisters, I think we, we are not obligated the to the flesh to live according to the flesh. Because if you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. If you live according to the flesh, you are going to die. This is a different conversation because we want to ask, well, what if I'm saved? What if I was, no, different conversation. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So saved versus not saved is not the conversation here. The conversation is flesh versus spirit. In the rest of chapter 7 and into chapter 8, Paul is going to present the two operating systems for life. In the flesh or in the spirit. This is Apple versus Android. Windows versus Mac. Two different operating systems. 
Which one is on the throne is the question. And I believe verses 12 and 13 in chapter 8 kind of sum up what we're going to get into now. They kind of give us that general summary of what we're entering into here in verse 14. Paul is going to describe what it looks like to operate in the flesh. That's what we're going to read right now. That's what we're going to look at. What does it look like for someone to operate in the flesh? And I believe it's someone who's saved operating in the flesh. Verse 14, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh sold as a slave under sin. Wait, what? Didn't we just finish talking about how we were free from sin? Paul, did you forget what you just wrote? How does this make any sense? We have to define Paul's I here. What does he mean when he says, I am of the flesh? The I here is in regard to the flesh. He's talking about his flesh. That's a part of who we are. It's a part of us. Your flesh is a part of you. Unfortunately, salvation has not yet changed our flesh. That's very important. Salvation did not change our flesh. It gave us a new nature. This earthly part of us, the flesh, is, has not yet been saved from sin. In fact, it is still a slave to sin. It's hard to nail down a good definition for the flesh. I don't think it's necessary to get too far into this, but, but I don't think the flesh is just limited to our physical bodies. My flesh is not just the me you see right here. It's a little more than that. It's similar to the difference between the brain and the mind. How would you nail down the difference there? We know that they are different, but how exactly? One is a physical organ, the other is a more abstract concept. You got the brain and the mind. So it, so it is with the body and the flesh, I believe. The flesh is in the body like the mind is in the brain. Partly why I'm saying this is to keep us from the error of believing our physical bodies are evil in and of themselves. That's a, that's a false way of thinking that many have gone in the past. Our bodies are not evil, but they are corrupted. They are fallen. And there's a flesh within this body that includes this body. Now you're like, that doesn't make sense. It's, it's okay. It's okay. It makes enough sense. So when I say the flesh, don't just think the physical body. It's more than that. But it's not the old man either. We're not talking about the old man. The flesh is not the old man. The old man was something different. It was our old spiritual nature. It was the core of who we were. It was the core of us that was disconnected from God. And praise God, that's gone. That's gone. We've established that in chapter six. The new us, the core of us, is no longer a slave to sin like the old man. But unfortunately, our flesh still is. But thankfully... We are not just our flesh. That's not all there is to us. There is also a new man, a new nature, the core of us that desires God's law. We are comprised of both these things simultaneously. So verse 15, for I do not understand what I am doing because I do not practice what I want to do, but I do what I hate. Paul is bewildered because he is a living contradiction. He is a torn being. Now, if I do what I do not want, verse, uh, do not want to do, verse 16, I agree with the law that it is good. By the very fact that I don't like doing the wrong stuff I'm doing, 
It means there's something in me that's acknowledging the goodness of the law. If I wasn't acknowledging the law's goodness, I wouldn't care whether what I was doing was in accordance with it or not. I would be indifferent or alive. As Paul says earlier, I was alive before the law. Paul is describing the prison of the flesh. Verse 17, so now I am no longer the one doing it, but it is sin living in me. Whoa, what a statement. Is Paul avoiding responsibility for his sinful actions here? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. No, again, we must define the I. What does he mean when he says I? The I here is the part of Paul that agrees with God's law that it is good. This is Paul's new nature. I believe this is born again Paul. He is, in, he is new in Christ. The new Paul is not the origin of the evil he's doing. Oh, your new nature is not the origin of your evil thoughts, of your evil desires. Your new nature, your newness in Christ does not come up with that stuff. That's insanely encouraging. That is awesome. It's the part of him and us that doesn't like the evil we are doing. So what is the origin of our evil thoughts and evil desires and evil actions? It is sin. Sin is living. Sin is living within you. Yeah, we can skip right to verse 24. What a wretched man I am. What wretched people we are. Sin is living within us. Verse 18, for I know that nothing good lives in me. Okay, well, who's, who's me here? He says, that is in my flesh. He clarifies for us. For the desire to do what is good is with me, but there is no ability to do it. So notice that there's no goodness in the flesh. Sin is what resides in the flesh. That's where it resides. Sin does not reside in your new nature. It resides in the flesh. That's where it resides. And as a result, nothing good comes from the flesh. Right, because what's in the flesh? Sin, okay, you're, you're tracking, here we go. Paul says there is a desire to do good, but it can't be in the flesh. So where does that desire come from? Where does it reside if not in the flesh? It comes from the new man part of him, the spirit of God within him, the new nature. What Paul is going to refer to as the mind here in a bit. So there is a desire for good, but it has nowhere to go because the flesh has no ability to do the good. It has no ability to carry that good desire of fulfilling the law to the actual action of fulfilling the law. So then in verses 19 and 20, Paul basically summarizes and repeats what we've just talked about here. For I do, verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but I practice the evil I do not want to do. This is the experience. For if I do what I do not want, I am no longer the one that does it, but it is sin that lives in me. So I discover this law, this principle. When I want to do what is good, evil is present with me. How sad is this? How defeated is this? When Paul wants to do good, he only finds evil available in himself. There's nothing that can take that desire to fulfillment. There's nothing that can take that desire out. We want to love those around us, but then we find ourselves lashing out, cutting down, gossiping, and destroying relationships 
while trying to justify ourselves. Have you ever experienced anything like that? You look back and you're like, what happened? What happened? I love my friend. I love my brother or sister. I love my husband or wife. And I just said all that. I just did all that. That's a very good example of what Paul's talking about here. You have a desire that's good, but what does your flesh come up with? <laughs> bunch of cuss words, bunch of hurtful things, death spewing out of you. This is the law of the flesh, the principle of the flesh. When I want to do good, I only find evil within me. So verse 22, for in my inner self, I delight in God's law. Okay, the inner self, what is this? Ah, yes, the new nature, that core piece of us, the new man. Paul says, in my inner self, it seems clear this is closely connected, if not synonymous to the mind, which he's going to say in the next verse, verse 23. But I see a different law in the parts of my body. So he says, in my inner self, in this mind, I desire, I delight in God's law. That's the law of my mind. I desire to please God. That is the principle of my new man, my, my mind that has been regenerated and brought to life, desires God. That's good news. That's good news that your new man, maybe you, you see a lot of flesh in your life and a lot of works of the flesh, but your new man desires God. Your new nature desires God and desires to please God. That is the law of the mind. But he says in verse 23, I see a different law in the parts of my body. What's in the body? Sin, right? I should say what's in the flesh, right? The flesh is in the body and sin is in the flesh. There we go waging war against the law of my mind and taking me prisoner to the law of sin in the parts of my body. So what, uh, I've already covered this, man. I, I jump ahead again. So verse 23 is the clash of these two laws, these two principles. Paul has found to be true. And which one wins? The law in the parts of his body wages war against the law of his mind and takes him prisoner. Evil wins out in the flesh. Evil wins out in the flesh. The mind is not strong enough to overcome the flesh. My desire is to love and serve the people, but the law the in the parts body, of my body, i.e. my mouth, decides differently. And I find myself bringing death and pain on the people around me instead of my desire to do good and to love and to care and to image Christ to the world around me. Verse 24, what a wretched man I am. This is Paul's conclusion. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Wow, I thought we were made new in Christ and free from sin's hold. It was no longer our master, remember? What does salvation even mean if our flesh is still a slave to sin and evil wins out even though we want to do what's right? What happened to all the good news? of chapters four through six. What happened to all that, Paul? What else can we say but what a wretched man I am or what a wretched mean, woman that I am? If our flesh is still a slave. Who will save us from our body of death? What a, what a, what a description. This flesh that is enslaved to sin. 
So Paul says in verse 25, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's the answer. That's who will rescue us. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God, but with my flesh, the law of sin. This verse just stops us. It just stops us. Everything we've been working through these past few verses was a picture of what it looks like to try to serve God in our flesh. This, everything we've discussed, that's what it looks like to serve God in your flesh. Does it happen? Do you serve God? Do you end up serving God in the flesh? No, you serve sin in the flesh. That's what we just saw. That's everything we just read. And so when Paul asks, who will save me from this body of death, this flesh? And then he answers, thanks be to God through Jesus. It can hit us like an awkward surprise we don't know what to do with. That's how it hits me. We feel like we should be celebrating with Paul, but we are immediately faced with the question of, questions of, okay, how? How does Jesus save me? When? When does he, did he save me or is he going to save me? What, what does it mean? Okay, thanks be to God. Amen. But, but how? How is he rescuing me? When is he saving me? Paul, are you saying you were saved from this body of death? Or are you saying God will save you in the future? Well, the answer is, like many times, yes. God will renew these bodies of death so that they are no longer stained and corrupted by sin. We will get into that into chapter eight, which is gonna be just so encouraging. But we can stop for a sec and give thanks to God that this is our coming hope. We're gonna get a new body, a new flesh. It's not even a flesh anymore. It's, it's, a, it's an immortal body, a glorified body. That's what we're waiting for, church. That's what we sing about and rejoice in, that God is gonna renew us. We're not gonna be in these earth suits forever like this. We're gonna be made new. Our bodies are gonna be renewed and they're not good. sin's not gonna have any presence in our life. So that is worth celebrating. But now we get to the question, what about in the meantime? Paul, how are we saved from the cycle of defeat here and now? How does God save this wretched man in the meantime? As I live a life on a daily basis, how do we avoid this cycle of defeat, this body of death ruling our experience? Hang on. Note the end of verse 25. This is Paul's conclusion of the matter, his conclusion of 14 through 25. So then with my mind, I myself am serving the law of God but with my flesh, the law of sin. That's how it goes. Paul's conclusion is that he is torn. He is a torn, conflicted being. The mind, the new man, the new nature of Christ within us will always serve the law of God. Paul says, with my mind, I myself. This is who Paul really is. But there is a body of death, the flesh. And his conclusion is that the flesh will always serve sin. This is a massive truth. This is a massive truth. Are your ears open right now? Is anybody's ears open right now? Come on, come on, be with me. Your flesh will always serve sin. Your flesh will always serve sin. And I think we're out of time for today. So let's pray and... You cannot help your flesh be better. Oh, hear this. You cannot help your flesh be better. This means you will always be disturbed by how corrupted your flesh is, or you should be. You might be blind to it. It means you will never have any reason to exalt yourself because you know 
the darkness within you. And in the flesh, you will never, until you die, you will never outgrow this darkness. So why can't we just end with verse 25? Because I don't want to end there. I don't want to end there. And, and Paul doesn't put the chapters and verses in here. Paul keeps going. This goes right into chapter 8. So we got to pretend like chapter, that heading doesn't even exist. It just keeps going into chapter 8. We get this quick moment of celebration and hope that Jesus has and will save us from this sad picture of the flesh and sin. But then we are quickly met with the question of how? How does Jesus save us? How do we get free from the cycle of defeat? Chapter 8. Verse one, therefore there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus, that principle, that law of the mind, that law of the spirit, it has set you free from the law, the principle of sin and death that we've discussed. This, remember the one law, the law of sin and death overcame the law of the mind? But look what happens here. Those in Christ... The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. You're you're actually free. And this is where we start to get into the two operating systems. What we've witnessed so far is one operating system. That's what it looks like to operate in the flesh. And I'm getting ahead of myself. This is the power of our position in Christ. We are not condemned because while we still have the flesh, the flesh no longer rules. The flesh no longer rules. The flesh is no longer our operating system. It has been dethroned. We are no longer defined as in the flesh because we are in Christ. We're in the spirit. And in Christ, you are not condemned. Yeah, but what if I'm not in Christ? Do you believe in Jesus? Have you received his gift of grace and salvation? You are not condemned. You are in Christ. Yeah, but what if, what about, you are not condemned. And those little hesitations, that that was my life for so many years. I am not condemned. I am in Christ. Verse three, for what the law could not do since it was weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering in order, verse four, that the law's requirement would be fulfilling, fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. This right here is the answer to how. How does God save us from this body of death through Christ? By dethroning the flesh. As children of God, we are those who walk, live, That's what it means, according to the Spirit of God. Remember last week we are set free so we can serve in the newness of the Spirit? Remember that? The Spirit of God now rules our heart and life. The mind, Paul talks about, is no longer bullied into the corner by the flesh. Are you seeing this? That's what we just witnessed. Paul's new nature, his mind, it was bullied into the corner by flesh so that flesh imposed its will on the mind and says, I know you would desire to please God, but I feel like cussing this person out. So that's what we're going to do. That was the flesh on the throne. That's verses 14 through 25. That mind is Christ on the throne of our life now. The spirit of God reigns within the children of God. So many of you are like, okay, well, I'm still confused. 
I believe we can let the flesh back on the throne if we want, because that's what our temptation is. That's it. It's a different way of thinking right here. The flesh screams to have control again. Stop for a moment. Listen to the screams of your flesh. Hear them in the past. Think about this week. When was the flesh screaming at you? When was it begging you for control again? For the throne? That interaction with that person? Those thoughts in your mind at work? The time when you were bored and alone? What was the flesh screaming at you? Oh, I know my flesh screams at me. And if we let the flesh back on the throne, we will see Romans 7, 14 through 24 in our lives. That's what we will see. Christ is not going to bully his way to the throne. He's a gentleman. He's gentle and lowly. If we decide to let the flesh reign, Christ will vacate the throne until we let him have it back. Christ will step aside. Verse eight, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And yet many of us have been trying for a very long time. I'm trying to please God. I'm trying to do better, but man, I just, I'm stuck. It doesn't work. I can't. You couldn't please God before you were saved. And now that you're saved, you still can't please God in your flesh. When flesh is on the throne, that's, that's what you get. There's no pleasing God. There's another way. You, however, verse nine, you, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God lives in you, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Beloved, we are in Christ, in the spirit. That's our default state. That's the true nature within us. In Christ, in the spirit, God, Christ is on the throne. That's our natural state. Stop living in the flesh because you can, because Christ is in you. Let Christ on the throne. Stop trying to please God and do what's right while simultaneously keeping flesh on the throne. It's not gonna work. Notice this statement. You're, you are free from every fear you have. You are free from every fear you have. We don't even know what to do with a statement like that. Our flesh is like, has, is, is just stunned by something like that because it's too simple and it's too intense for the flesh. The flesh has all these objections. You're free from what people think of you. You're free from your fear of failure your fear of not being enough, your fear of not being loved, you're free from all of it in Christ because you have all those things in Christ. You have approval, you have love, you have acceptance, you have security and safety and life and joy. You have it all in Christ. Stop listening to the flesh. Stop. Let the flesh scream. You're free. You're in Christ. You're bigger than the flesh. Don't let the two-year-old, screaming two-year-old, have the throne of your life. 
You will always be accepted, loved, held, and safe in Christ. Man, it's like, I gotta move on, but just sitting with something like that takes a while. Another stun ray to the flesh. Live in this truth. That's life in the spirit. That's life in the spirit. It is that good. It is that good. It is that true. Even this week, as I was working through this and asking God to make it real in my life, and when fear or anxiety or temptation came, there were many moments when I just claimed this. I just claimed this. I literally said, I'm in the spirit. I just said, I'm in the spirit, and it washed me. It was that simple. It shifted my perspective. It elevated me above the crap the flesh was trying to sell me. Man, my coworkers are killing me. I am in the spirit of God and I walk according to him. Don't worry, Donna and Jeremy and Red, that was not my thought. (laughs) That's for you guys. I'm so stressed out. I have so much anxiety. I am in the spirit of God and I, I am in the spirit walk according to him. I keep giving in to temptation. I keep giving in to temptation. I am in the spirit of God and I walk according to him. I want to give up. I am in the spirit of God. I am in the walk according to him. Why in the world would I give up in that case? How could I give up in that case? And a quick caveat for clarity. The spirit of God does not rescue us from emotions we need to work through. I'm not saying chant this mantra and immediately you will feel free and better. This truth sets you free to face and deal with your emotions because there's nothing to fear. You are in the spirit of God. You are safe in Christ. Your finances are in his hands. Your life and eternity are in his hands. Walk in the spirit, beloved. All right, we're getting, we're getting up to an hour, guys. I'm sorry. It's 52 right now, 53. We're finishing. Let's finish with Galatians 5.16. I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Isn't that simple? Isn't that a simple way of stating everything we just said? How do we walk in the Spirit? Well, there's a lot more to say to that, obviously. That could take another hour. But it is as simple. It is as simple as trusting Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take him at his word. Trust his power to help you. When you cry out for help, trust that he's there and he's gonna help. You may not feel differently immediately, but that's, that's, that's let, the, let the flesh feel. It's okay to feel. You don't need to shove your feelings away. You can, you can feel the pain. You can just feel it. You're gonna be okay. You're going to be okay. Trust God's love and grace never stop flowing to you. There's, trust there's no condemnation from God towards you. Trust that he's enough. Don't fear. How could you say that, Hunter? Because you're in the spirit of God. Don't run from hard, painful things. Don't run from humiliation. Don't run from scorn or your own wrongdoings. Don't run. Stand there with Jesus. He's got you. You are in the spirit. You have power. You have the power of Christ. Your emotions don't rule you. Your pain doesn't rule you. Your fears do not rule you. Get up, my brother. Arise, my sister. Go forth in the power of the spirit. And by golly, 
sin no more. So Father, bring this to fruition in our lives, I pray. What we have looked at today, many of us hopefully can, can look back in, in our experience and, and see, see moments where we, we, were in the, we, we lived in the spirit and we bore fruit accordingly. But I think many of us, a lot of our experience yells at us right now and says, maybe I don't know that so much. Maybe most of my living has been in the flesh. So God, please teach us this week to walk in the spirit. There's no condemnation for us. There is no condemnation. So those who are feeling condemnation this morning, oh God, rescue them from that deception. Rescue them from those lies. And today, maybe there's someone in here who says, you know, I, I don't know if, if I am in the spirit. I don't know if I am in Christ. I mean, verse nine says, if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. So what does that mean? You're just hopeless? Well, hope is right in front of you. Hope is right in front of you today. Receive, receive God's grace. Receive the gift of salvation. Be saved, my brother, my sister. And you're in the spirit. It's not your own doing. It's not your, your certain specific prayer or a feeling you have. It is a choice to surrender the throne of your life. And God gets control. This entity that we can neither see nor physically touch, he gets control of your life. And that's about the scariest thing but it's good. He's, he's that real. He's that good. He's that true. Would you give your life to Jesus today? Cast yourself at Jesus. He loves you. He desires your best. He is so good. Father, thank you so much. Be praised in our song now in Jesus' name. Amen.